James, third chapter, verse number 13, says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but it is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. I used to listen to a, a podcast by a Reformed Baptist pastor who would talk about things that were going on in the news. Um, he'd talk about election, election issues, and he'd talk about, um, like I said, things going on in the news from a religious perspective. He'd talk about the culture, and, and then he'd start talking about some famous preachers and some ways that they had gone off into the different directions and, and sort of critique their, their ministries and their, their sermons. He'd take a sermon and dissect it, and and then he would then he started getting into the uh, the social justice stuff and and pointing all that stuff out how how it's infiltrated churches and infiltrated seminaries and that kind of thing. And he was very apt at um, seeing issues and problems and and being able to point it out. In fact, he could see he would report on these things long before they would just come out. He he was very discerning in that regard. But over time, you know, he'd done this for several years. Over time, he was seemed to be almost solely focusing on this kind of stuff and just would go scorched earth on people um, and tear them down, even if the people was on his side. And he would have people who would be believe just like him, but he they didn't do everything just the way that suited him, and he'd just go scorched earth on them and and just try to try to destroy him. And he just became more and more fierce in his dealings with the truth of Scripture and harder and harsher with anybody that disagreed with him. And people would say something to him and say, Well, you know, you're you're shooting your own uh, you're shooting your own soldiers. You know, your stand for the truth is so difficult that that you're shooting your own allies. Well, then he'd say, well, you're just a snowflake. You're, you're effeminate or something along those lines. Well, eventually it came to light that um, he had some very bad personal problems. He's addicted to, to painkillers and, and at least on one occasion abusive to his wife. And so he had a lot of bad stuff going on in his life. And I say this not to, to tear the man down, um, he put out a statement. He resigned from the ministry and put out a statement of, of repentance and and uh, you know under church discipline and doing the right things. And I pray that the Lord would uh, would restore him and and his family and so forth. But the the reason I say this is because that's the kind of thing that James is dealing with here in this text. This man had much knowledge. He was very knowledgeable in theology he was very knowledgeable in the things of the world but or in the things of politics and and things such as that but his life and his words and his demeanor wasn't matching the the tenor of the gospel and and when you start examining his life you find out that there was stuff going on in his life that that was evident just by his words. And uh, could have been evidenced by his words. And so that uh, that happened 
several months ago, and I, I've just been thinking about that, how, how we must stand for the truth on one hand, we must defend the truth, love the truth, die for the truth, not give an inch to the, on the truth and compromising, but we also have to walk in wisdom and in love and in the way that God has commanded us to walk. Because it's not enough just to know the truth, but, but to be endued with knowledge is also to walk in wisdom. Because if we have the knowledge, but we don't walk in the wisdom, then we might not understand the knowledge or might, might not have it um, deep-seated within our heart and our soul. And so, for God's people, you know, for me as a pastor, uh, for God's people, for the church, we have to protect one another and watch out for one another and hold to the truth. Um, but also, we have to be responsible for how we do such things. There are things worth fighting for. There's, there's truths worth ending friendships over, if needs be. But like Brother Harold was talking about in Sunday school, it's easy to get caught up in the mob mentality or start using the devil's tactics to fight the Lord's battle. Whenever you, you're engaged in um, a controversy or a debate, or if maybe you're talking to your neighbor or talking to somebody about the things of Scripture and you start going back and forth and back and forth, um, it's easy to get caught up. It's easy to, to get... Um, get carried away, you might say, with, with emotion and forget that we're not trying to win an argument as much as we are trying to convince and show the truth. And, you know, I, I spot this in my own life and, and I'm sure everyone does. In fact, James says, uh, that's how we started off this chapter, um, that if you can not sin with your tongue, you're a perfect man. But, but this is what he's dealing with is how we communicate these things is, is very important as well because it, it has to do with our inner life. So when we first started this series, we saw how important the truth is. We can't compromise the truth. And last week we looked to determine if somebody has wisdom, you can tell by the fruit. God's knowledge works wisdom in and produces the meekness of wisdom without. Well, tonight we want to consider the alternative. What what the alternative looks like. Knowledge uh, without wisdom. Or the title of the sermon, uh, The Devil's Wisdom. Well, first of all, we find that if you've got the devil's wisdom, or you're walking in this devilish worldly wisdom, you're lying against the truth. That's what the text says, um, verse 14, that you're not to lie against that truth. In other words, you are... You're not walking the walk. You got the talking part down. You can talk the talk, but you're not walking the walk. If you have knowledge, or if you're a wise man, you should show it. It should display. Not that you tell everybody you're wise, but your life would exude wisdom. So you can tell a wise person by whether or not they're walking in wisdom, not by how many um, degrees that they have or, or so forth. You show that you're wise with your good life and your life of meekness. Just like, um, to, just to recap briefly, just like James says, 
Show me your faith by your works. Well, show me your wisdom by your life. Not by your words merely, but by your life. So they had people, it appears from the beginning of chapter 3, they had people who wanted to be teachers and say, well, I know a lot about the Bible, but the fruit of their ministry, the fruit of their teaching, the fruit of their um, talking to people about the Bible was just fighting and war and, 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 and destruction, it would seem. They were sons of thunder. And James said, now, this is not the pattern of a wise man. This is not a pattern of somebody with wisdom that everywhere they go, um, trouble, trouble follows. Um, not because they were speaking, speaking the truth, but um, we'll get into just in you know, just a second what that, why that was. You can have the doctrine intellectually, and you can understand theological concepts, but you might not have wisdom, meaning that you haven't applied that, that that hasn't come um, all the way through. So you can have a knowledge of the doctrine of election, but if you if it doesn't make you worship God and love God and and be confident in your salvation, then you haven't really understood wisdom or haven't understood election. You might know it and can define it, but you haven't grabbed a hold of it because uh, you're, it hasn't produced um, that, that peaceable fruit in the heart. So what James is saying is, if, if you've got the intellectual part and you're not walking in wisdom, you're lying against the truth. Your, your life is, is saying one thing, while your mouth is saying something else. Your mouth is saying the truth, maybe, but your life is walking contrary to it. You might profess the truth, but then go and argue in a way that's contrary to it. You might preach a gospel of peace and follow the prince of peace, compel men to be reconciled to God, and yet our actions are fighting, envy, strife, and bitterness. So it's like, um, you know, sometimes you have, hear a preacher and you'll slam the pulpit and start yelling and say, you got to love one another. <laughs> right. Well, that's screaming at somebody, telling them to love somebody. The, the, the yelling and what they're yelling doesn't match, does it? To, to tell somebody to be loving and then have a, um, a, an angry... Um, an angry attitude about yourself doesn't go hand in hand. So that's not what he's talking about here. It's just an illustration. But, uh, but our, our life and our words and our doctrine should go hand in hand. Our life should adorn the doctrine of God. So the doctrine that we believe should be like a, 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 an apparel that we wear. So, you know, it's like the, the terrible... Um, stereotype of, of people of Calvinists or Calvinists are angry and 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 fighters. Well, that ought not to be, um, because that that goes along with someone who doesn't truly understand the doctrines of grace. It's not a bad testimony for someone to be a fighter who believes in the doctrines of grace, of mercy, of reconciliation. <laughs> So you're lying against the truth by living contrary to it. To say that you've been redeemed by the Prince of Peace, but looking to start trouble 
is, is two contrary things. Your actions are contrary to your words. So if that's the tone and tenor of life, that means maybe the truth hasn't sunk down. And, and so James is saying, I think primarily towards the people who were teaching and preaching, but because that's how it starts out, my brethren, be not many masters or teachers, knowing we shall receive the greater condemnation. But it flows down to, to everyone that, that we should... We should have our language seasoned with grace, right? That that we should be a people of peace and a people uh, of love and a people of joy, and, and but fight for the glory of God, fight for these truths with the desire that people would would come to this truth. So I'm not saying that there is no fighting, there is no standing. What I'm saying is that it's not the, the goal to, to fight. Our goal should be peace. Our, my goal and your goal should be that people believe what we believe. And then, you know, if I talk to an Armenian person, I don't want them to leave and say, man, I'm wrong. I want them to at least say, boy, I was wrong, but he's right. But I want them to say, wow, look at the glory of the Jesus Christ. My view of the scriptures don't line up with what glorifies God in the scriptures. So that, that's what we, should be the, the heart that we have, that, that we want to show them that they are wrong, in, that they may know what is true according to the scriptures. But um, it, can be, it can end up being, well, I just want to... I just want to win the argument, or I just want to, to win the discussion. Well, about 20 years or so ago, there was a resurgence among um, a lot of people in the publishing world uh, because a lot of young guys were preaching the doctrines of grace. And there were a lot of pastors, who, uh, young pastors who had mega churches that they were preaching the doctrines of grace. and They became young Calvinists. I think even Time Magazine had a a cover article about Calvinism because it was becoming the the, the new thing among um, these megachurch pastors. And a lot of guys that led this movement were rough and brash and in your face and and you know they were they were attracting other young men and they had a nationwide following and and book deals and all these types of things. But they would use filthy language and um, they would just live a life that older preachers were saying, you know, there's something wrong here. There's something not quite right because of the way that they're living. And they said, well, you're just an old fundamentalist. 20 years down the road, a lot of these guys have either left Christianity altogether. Many of them have left Calvinism altogether. Some have become Pentecostals. And they just really didn't believe it all to start with, apparently. But the fact is, the writing was on the wall. James showed us that the writing was on the wall because their, their life didn't have the wisdom that would be displayed if one had this wisdom from God. That Their life and their talk wasn't matching up. And so, with 
a lot of these guys, it wasn't that they just hadn't learned the truth, it's just they didn't really believe it or didn't understand it to start with. So um, this is what the, the warning is. It, it's, it's bad for the individual. It's bad for people around. And ultimately, it's, it's not good for the glory of God. Well, what kind of fruit does this produce, this devilish wisdom? What should you look for in one that is aligned against the truth? Now, again, I'm not saying that this is a sign that a person's not saved. It could be a sign um, of just um, needing more wisdom in the Word. And James says at the beginning of the book, if you need wisdom, pray for it and God will give it to you. So that it might just be a lack of wisdom and needing more of God's grace and wisdom. But, but what happens if this goes unchecked? What happens if there's not wisdom? Well, there's some rotten fruit. Um, verse 14 says, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts. So one um, rotten fruit of this worldly wisdom is bitter envy, a bitter jealousy, anger, zealous passion against the good of somebody else. Thomas Manton said, envy is the mother of strife and covetousness, uh, sold Christ, but envy delivered him. That's what the, the gospels say, that they, they delivered Christ, the priest did, out of envy. These two sins are still the enemies of Christian profession. Covetous makes us sell religion, and envy makes us persecute it. So that's why Paul said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, in Philippians 2.3. So, envy covets and desires what other or covetous covets and what desires what someone else has and, and envy causes one to, to fight and hate because of that this wisdom will or this worldly wisdom will take knowledge and see other people with something and then try to use that knowledge to, to fight against them. And they'll even say, well, this is for God's glory. I'm defending the truth. I'm not going to compromise one bit. But underneath all of it isn't really a defense of the truth, isn't really a love of God's glory, but envy, bitter envy. Johnstone said it's an arrogant, bigoted spirit will often wrap it itself in, in the, uh, a zealous warring for the truth of God, and it lays bare the moral deformity and defilement, bitter envy and strife. So it's easy to, to once a controversy starts, or once an argument starts, or, or once some kind of... Um, Problem starts, it's easy to, to wrap ourselves in the garment of truth, but deep down, the, the war has to do with bitter envy. And so, James warns against this. Not, he's not saying that if there is a, a fight, if there is a controversy, that it's because of that, but he says, but if you have this. So it's just a pause to, to consider Paul, or the New Testament, has many passages that tell us, that it commands us. We have to stand for the truth. We have to, to um, war against those who, um, those ideas, 
and those uh, doctrines that war against the soul. Paul stood up and confronted Peter to his face in front of a bunch of people because Peter um, was not living according to the gospel that he believed. He had a false testimony. So um, Paul was not a stranger to, to controversy. James himself was not a stranger to controversy. They had the, the council there in Jerusalem. But James is a very wise pastor. And he said we have to examine it and just stop and, and go to the Lord in prayer and make sure that our hearts are not engaging in warfare out of bitter envy. Why? Because it's hurtful to others. If we look at this sin and some other lists, we find that it's, it's always listed in a way that harms other people. So in Romans chapter 1, it's uh, listed in a list of sins of the, the reprobate heart. When God gives the people over to a reprobate mind, Notice, they are being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, and haters of God. So this is a, a fleshly, worldly uh, fruit. And so not all debate, not all um, argument, of course, is... Uh, it's full of that, but but James said, if you be, you know, pay attention, seek your heart, and don't don't continue on and and war out of a spirit of envy. It's a fruit of the flesh. In Galatians five, and if you look over in Titus, uh, chapter three and verse three, it's a a work of the old man. He says, we ourselves, in, in Titus 3.3, 3, we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers, lusts, and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. So here you see the root of it that it was contrary to the good of other people. It wasn't to help people. It wasn't to rescue people, it wasn't to reconcile people, it wasn't to teach people, it wasn't to lift people out of the darkness and into the light, it wasn't to warn people of the danger, but it was an envious, hateful, hating one another attitude. And James says, be careful. Be careful that our knowledge doesn't make us enemies of all people, but we want to be ones who point to the friend of sinners. So notice it's foolish, Paul said in Titus. It's a foolish, uh, disobedient spirit. Sometimes this word envy is translated zeal. It's often an unguided fleshly zeal that does much damage and harm. It's not the meek and desire good for others um, that that James says that God's wisdom has, but it's self-glory a desire to, to fight and to win. And when there's a war to win, and if the only goal was to defeat the opponent, then often the casualty of war is sincerity and truth. If the only goal was defeating the opponent. So if, if, if we're in a war with another country, I think the goal should be defeat the other opponent. We fight wars, and we don't even want, we don't even know how, I don't even know what it would look like to win a war anymore. 
It used to be you'd win a war when the other side quit or you took the other side's country or whatever. You know, that's how you knew the war was over. But now we fight wars and they go on forever. And you say, well, how do you know if you win a war? Well, who knows? There's no goal. There's not, we just go over and blow people up and, and shoot people and it just goes on and on forever. Well, uh, when nations fight, there should be a goal. There should be a, a reason why you fight, and there should be a goal, and you should know how to fight and win and, and get out of it. Well, when, in a spiritual war, if the only goal is to defeat the other the opponent, then sometimes the casualty will be will be sincerity and truth, because you can you can defeat somebody a whole lot of different ways. You can defeat somebody just by embarrassing them. You can defeat somebody by intimidating them to be quiet. You win the argument. You can defeat somebody by making them get so mad at you they never want to talk to you again. But in the war, in the truth war, our desire is that Christ is glorified, but also that sinners come through repentance and those who are ignorant of the truth, and not in a condescending way, but people who just don't know the truth, come to know the truth. That's the goal of the war. And sometimes... In a war like that, sometimes we have to take a few shots, right? We have to take a few um, shots to ourselves and to our pride, maybe, and, and let some things go in order that that we can, um, like I said, both glorify Christ and bring people to the knowledge of the truth. The devil's wisdom will make you dig in your heels and fight and lie and lie to yourself and lie to others, presenting a false front to win a war. But God's wisdom will lead to sincerity. Manton again said, true zeal, though it may increase the steam, or increase the stream, rather, it will increase the stream, it does not usually make it overflow the brakes and break one rule to vindicate another. So true zeal, Christian zeal, might make the river flow a little bit faster, but it's not going to jump the, brink, the banks of, of truth. So you can look to the life of the Apostle Paul and Peter in the book of Acts. They were very zealous for the truth. Stephen was very zealous for the truth. He was very bold. They were very bold in what they said. And they weren't, um, they weren't mincing words. They weren't compromising the truth. But you can see in the Apostles' attitudes and the words that they used and the way that they went and, and would even sacrifice themselves and their life and their liberty and and uh, their health for these people that hated them. You could see their desire was the salvation of sinners and the glory of Jesus Christ. But Paul never went and lied to people. Peter never went and persecuted people. the, The apostles, the churches in the New Testament, never went and persecuted people. They never fought the Lord's warfare using the devil's tactics. That they were persecuted themselves and rejoiced in it rather than dishonoring Christ or dishonoring the truth. And so James just warns us, be careful of the motivation. Because it's, it's bad for you. Proverbs 14.30 says, Envy is the rottenness of the bones. It just it can give you physical problems. It, it just it just rots the bones. It rots inside and out. 
um, this, this sin does. And it dishonors God. Not only is there a bitter envy, but there's strife in the heart, or we could say selfish ambition. It could also be um, translated. Uh, this, this devil's wisdom is sort of a party spirit, where you'll be partial to friends and, and family and colleagues for the truth's sake, or despite the truth, rather than stand for the truth. And I think sometimes a lot of the argument that goes on in Baptist churches and Baptist preachers come down to, to strife and, and envy. Because the longer a debate goes on, the longer fighting goes on, the, the more apt you are to get your feelings hurt. And once you get your feelings hurt, then you're not going to let something slide. Or once you, you're shown to be wrong about something, instead of just saying, you know what, I was wrong, I'm sorry, you have to dig in your heels and you have to say, well, no, I'm not wrong, I'm never wrong. I'm going to prove, I'm going to prove myself right. And, and it's like a game of tug-of-war, and you start pulling as hard as you can, and they start pulling as hard as you can. What happens when somebody lets go of the, the rope? Well, the other team falls down, don't they? Because they're pulling so hard, they're unbalanced. And I think it just goes back and forth. And this happens in families. You ever been in an argument with somebody, uh, a sibling, a spouse, and, and the longer it goes on, the more um, irrational it might get that, that nobody, not, not, both sides now are just, no matter what happens, saying things that probably they don't even believe. Right, because but they just they're gonna win and it just keeps going back and forth and back and forth. It might start out as a matter of truth or even a matter of opinion, then back and forth and back and forth. Then no matter what's said after that, there'll never be peace because of envy and strife. Never. Because it's, it gets to the point of strife in the heart. Even in the church in Corinth. In chapter 1, um, they, were, they were into this strife. And, and the one group said, well, I follow Christ. And the other said, well, I follow Paul. Well, I follow Apollos. Well, I'm a, I'm a Peter man. And uh, I follow Cephas. Then they just, well, ha, ha, you know, you guys are following men. Well, I follow Jesus. And, and just back and forth and back and forth. Well, they had broken up into factions. And it wasn't about... The, the funny thing is, Christ and Peter and Apollos and Paul, they weren't arguing with each other. They weren't opposed to one another. Because if you followed Christ, you'd also be following Peter and Paul. There was no conflict amongst the truth, but they had divided themselves up. And, and at that point, there was so much envy and strife that there could never be harmony again. There was zeal in the pretense of truth, but it was really envy was at the bottom of it. And so, when that happens, James says, well, don't glory about that. Don't be glorying, glorying and being proud about that type of work. Glory not, he says. Well, where there's weakness, there's meekness with God's wisdom. There's pride with the devil's wisdom. One man says the zealots to whom James refers might make a boast of their zeal for God while in truth they were only gratifying their own pride. 
giving indulgence to vanity and envy and other evil passions of their corrupt nature. So we have to stand for the glory of God, but, but not fight and argue and use our words for the glory of ourselves. Well, how can we tell? Well, that brings us to the last thing we want to look at tonight, that of the devil's wisdom. Um, this wisdom, verse 15, descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where there is envy and strife, there is confusion in every evil work. So this wisdom of the world is contrary to God's wisdom. It's focused on the sensual, the, the flesh, the pride of life, covetousness, shrewd in earthly matters and getting ahead in the world, but blind to eternal matters. It's wisdom of the world. It doesn't come down from above, but is earthly. Like um, the, well, it, um, let me just read it. First John 2, uh, 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so this, this wisdom, so-called, this way of doing things from the earthly, natural man perspective, is of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's, so that's what uh, James is talking about when he says it's earthly, sensual, and devilish. It doesn't come down from above. Where do these tactics come from? Where do these stratagems come from? Well, they come from below. It's sensual. It's fleshly. The same word is used in Jude 19, talking about the mockers of the, the Spirit, or mockers without the Spirit. And in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15, um, it's used as the natural man, opposed to the spiritual man, opposed to one who has divine illumination. So in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, the natural man. So this is the sensual, same word that James used. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can they know them, because they are not spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself judgeth no man. So this sensual wisdom doesn't come from the Spirit of God. It comes from the natural man. It comes from um, the unregenerated mind. So this is the kind of wisdom that you'd find in politics. This is the kind of wisdom that you'd find in maybe a salesperson or someone who debates. It's, it just comes from the natural mind. It has uh, the natural man as the fountain. It has the things of the flesh as the, the focus of the victory. And it does not come from God. The natural man, again, like Jude, uh, was talking about the mockers. Um, so you have a, uh, the idea that this, this uh, natural wisdom is not one of love and of, of truth. Um, it says, but in verse 18 of Jude, it says, How that they told you that there should be mockers in the last times who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the Spirit. So that, that is a way that you see today. Isn't that how people um, argue about things today? 
and debate about things today, just making fun of people and mocking people, um, making memes on the internet and, and that kind of thing. And, and it's not any argument. It's not any, well, here's what I believe and I'm prepared to defend it. But it's, you know, ha, 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 look how dumb you are and look how dumb these people are. And, and people use that in religion. Now, that's what Elijah did. Elijah made fun of the prophets of Baal, but you don't see that used very often in the scriptures. And I'm not an Old Testament prophet, so you've know, you got to be careful with this kind of attitude because that's the way, that's the wisdom of the world. You can destroy somebody with mockery, but it's very dangerous work. Johnstone said, Controversy always involves very serious spiritual hazards. And wherever love fails, a spirit of bitterness and envy enters in. There is sin. Elijah mocked the prophets of Baal, but he did it for the love of Israel. But if you just start going around mocking, then you're and, and winning arguments through mockery. Well, you, you're using uh, the wisdom of the world. We can't win at any cost or play by the enemy's rules. It's tempting to fight fire with fire, but we have to have, we have to use the weapons that the Lord has given us. Um, whenever I was in high school, there was a debating thing that we had to do, and uh, we were supposed to study for it. And of course, I didn't study for it, uh, and I had to debate somebody, and and um, the other person had prepared all kinds of um, they had prepared, they had done their homework, they had done a good job. Well, whenever it was my turn to get up there. They went first, and all I did was mock what, what this person had said. And I'd twist her words around and get people laughing and get her frustrated, and then she said something, and then, and then I'd go back. Well, I ended up winning the debate, but not because I had the better arguments, just because I just got her frustrated by using dirty, dirty tactics. Uh, you know, that, that, that's the wisdom of the world. That's... That's not how we ought to do, right? That's not how we ought to do as, as God's people is, is that type of attitude. So we have to be very careful. We have to be very careful. This wisdom is devilish. The wisdom of the world is the work of the devil and the way of the devil. Thomas Manton said adultery and riot and that kind of thing, that kind of sin, that'll make a man brutish like an animal. The envy and pride and malice and slander, that'll make a man devilish. Right, so you, the the sins of the flesh will make you act like an animal, but envy and pride and slander and accusations that'll make you like the devil. So I don't know what's worse, to act like an animal or to act like the devil. It's not godly, and when we see it in ourselves, we need to to be careful. If we see it, we just need to put it to death. Ask God for forgiveness and. And ask for wisdom that could help us put this to death. The first envy we have of sin and Adam's pride, and the next you have it of Cain's envy. The first man was undone by pride, the second debauched by envy. Uh, Manton went on to say, Well, it goes, James said that this wisdom is the root of all confusion and evil work. So when you have this, you have. Disorder, instability, 
Worldly wisdom ultimately won't bring peace. It won't bring stability. It won't bring order. It brings disorder to the mind and into the actions. So, you know, that's kind of what I... You look at the, the state of politics and so forth when they have the debates, and it seems like every time there's a debate, every year it just gets worse and worse and worse to where they don't talk about anything now. It's just who can get the best soundbite, who can get the best zinger that'll be on TV for the next two weeks or so. They don't say anything of any substance anymore. It's just all about um, getting one over the other guy. Well, is that going to bring peace? Is that going to bring stability? Has not being able to talk about truth and stand for truth brought stability and order to our country? Well, it won't because where there is this kind of wisdom, there is confusion in every, every evil work. In fact, it brings about tumults, and as in 2 Corinthians 12.20, or unsettles the mind in Proverbs 11.17. It is the root of every evil work. God is not the author of confusion, but peace. And so if we want peace, we can't follow the way of the man of confusion. The Tower of Babel was earthly wisdom, and that brought confusion. God is the author of peace and would have peace and order in his church. So which, whose advice should we take? Should we go the way of Babel to try to bring order and peace to our life? Well, you saw what happened at the Tower of Babel. Or should we follow the Prince of Peace? the author of peace, who is not the author of confusion. So we follow his methods. Well, if we want peace, if we want order, if we want meekness and gentleness, if we want people to be reconciled to God through Christ, then we have to do the way of Christ. Truth and wisdom are Christ-like. They're from Christ, they describe Christ, taught by Christ, and empowered by Christ. I'm going to read these three passages of the Scripture, and then we'll close. The first is that Christ is wisdom. In 1 Corinthians 1.24, it says, But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who is made unto us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. In verse 30. So Christ is wisdom. If we're going to have wisdom and walk in wisdom, we're going to have to walk in the way of Christ. Well, how do we know? The way of Christ. Well, wisdom comes by God's revelation and the knowledge of Christ. Ephesians 1.17 says this, that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Wisdom cannot come apart from Jesus Christ because if Christ is the wisdom of God, then we will have wisdom by knowing Christ from the revelation that God has given of Christ. And so, how do we get more of this wisdom? Well, the word of Christ dwells in us. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So the word of Christ, the Bible, dwells in us, then we'll have wisdom. The wisdom of the world has rotten fruit. Bitter envy and strife and every, every evil work and confusion. But Christ, God is not the author of confusion. And this wisdom from Christ has the fruits of the Spirit. Christ is the wisdom of God. Wisdom comes by revelation of God and the knowledge of Christ. 
And we let that wisdom dwell in us and remain in us through the knowledge of Him. So if we have knowledge of the Word of Christ, who is the wisdom of God, but our actions aren't, aren't imitating that, then we need to pray that God would give us wisdom, that we would understand the truth, and uh, that we would walk in the wisdom of Christ.